0: It's amazing, you know, that Charlie Brown Christmas special has been around for a long time. And one of the things that has made that Christmas special stay so special over the years is this ongoing conversation that the Peanuts gang is having throughout that cartoon about what Christmas is really about. For some of the kids, Christmas is about long lists of presents and getting their fair share, just what's coming to them. Whereas for others, it's about the shine and the sparkle of aluminum Christmas trees and school plays about Christmas queens. Throughout the special, Charlie Brown has this suspicion that there is something more meaningful, that there is something more lasting to be experienced at Christmas that goes beyond the presents and the tinsel and the self-promotion. That feeling is what prompts him to buy that Ugly little Christmas tree, the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. But nothing really comes together for him until he hears Linus share the scripture that our kids shared with us today. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, a Savior has been born. To you, We still have these conversations about Christmas today, don't we? We still have these little wars that happen within us about how Christmas should go and what we should fill it with. We want to fill the season with magic, particularly for those of us who have young children somewhere in our extended family. And so we fill the season with, with to the brim, with dinner parties and white elephant parties and secret Santa parties and with nutcracker ballets and with Christmas pageants, tree lightings, light parades, ornament making, cookie making, crazy making. The more magical that we want the season to be, the more we do. As though we're operating out of the belief that so long as we keep busy, so long as we keep moving, then we won't miss out on anything. Like the Peanuts gang in A Charlie Brown Christmas, we seem to collectively suffer from Christmas FOMO, continually afraid that we're gonna miss out. But for many of us caught in the frenzy of Christmas magic overload, there still lies a suspicion that there is something more meaningful, something more lasting to be experienced at Christmas that goes beyond the presents and the tinsel and the self-promotion. Over the last four weeks of Advent, we have been filling our stockings over here with prayers, filling them with offerings to God of the things that we want to offload so that we can prepare room in our hearts for Christ And while there have been so many beautiful and wonderful and weighty and meaningful prayers that have been offered over the last four weeks, the prayer that has surfaced the most often was a prayer for time, for a gift of slowness, for the luxury of space. I have a feeling it's probably a prayer that many of us here can sympathize with that many of us have even prayed for ourselves over this season and maybe over the year, maybe over the years. Praying for more space, not really so that we can fill it with more to do, but so that we can sit and breathe, so that we can reflect, so that we can be still. But how do we do it? (laughs) We might desire to make more room in our hearts and in our lives, but desiring it and actually making it happen, that proves to be the bigger challenge. Am I right? There's a Catholic writer and activist. Her name was Dorothy Day. And she also writes about making room for Jesus. But she comes at it in a different way than we often do. She describes making room for Christ not as the process of clearing the calendar and sitting in absolute nothingness. I think that, of anyone, Dorothy Day probably realized well enough that humanity just doesn't tend to do well in sitting in open space. If we're given it, we will fill it. It's just part of our human nature. So instead... Day suggests filling the empty space, not with busyness or self-serving magic, but that we fill the empty spaces with service. Day points out a few things about our scripture for today. She says, I am sure that the shepherds did not adore and then go away to leave Mary and her child in the stable, but that they somehow found them room, even though what they had to offer might've been primitive enough. And so she suggests that we follow suit. She suggests that we respond to our encounters with those around us, not by sitting still and conserving our energy, not by pushing out the things that seem to be too overwhelming for us, but by serving Jesus through serving others. She says, all that the friends of Christ did for him in his lifetime, we can do too. Peter's mother-in-law hastened to cook a meal for him, and if anything in the Gospels can be inferred, it surely is that she gave the very best she had, with no thought of extravagance. Matthew made a feast for Jesus, inviting the whole town so that the house was in an uproar of enjoyment, and the straight-laced Pharisees, the good people, were scandalized. Friends, what Dorothy Day is talking about is the same thing that David Brooks recently talked about in his book, The Second Mountain. We in this time and place have been indoctrinated with the belief that the only expression of the, only the expression of total independence through choosing our own adventure will bring us meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction. But Brooks argues, what Dorothy Day argues, what the Gospel of Matthew argues, it is not through our independence that we find meaning but by our interdependence that we find meaning. Brooks says that it is when we turn our backs on our societally assigned role as consumers, it's when we turn our backs on that role and allow ourselves instead to be consumed by the commitments that we have to others, to our spouse or partner, to our community, to our faith or philosophy, to a cause He says it is by being consumed by our commitments to one another that we start to find that deep meaning that we long for. Tim Keller puts it a different way. He says, True freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as much as it is finding the right restrictions. Dorothy Day, David Brooks, Tim Keller all point out what the scriptures have been telling us for thousands of years, that being consumed by our commitment for others is an expression of our being consumed by our commitment to the Jesus that we celebrate today. Day says, we can live as closely to Jesus Christ as the disciples did. Today, we can live just as close. We can live just as close as the heroes of the Bible did. We do it by seeing Christ and serving Christ in the faces of friends and strangers alike, by serving everyone we come into contact with. We can talk about Christ's mystical body, about the vine and the branches, about the communion of saints, but Christ himself is the one who has proved it for us. And so no one else has to go further than that because Jesus said, that a glass of water given to a beggar was given to him. Jesus made heaven hinge on the way we act toward him in his disguise of commonplace, frail, ordinary humanity. My friends, this Christmas, I think that preparing room for the coming Christ is not in clearing out the commitments to others that we have in our lives so that we can sit alone in a vacuum with just us and Jesus. Like we could do that well anyway. If we think about it, saying no to those in our lives so that we can hog all of Jesus just to ourselves is just another expression of independence and isolation. We want to keep room in our hearts for ourselves and for Jesus, but we want to push everything else out. When perhaps what we need to do is keep others in our hearts and clear ourselves out a little bit more. Now, for all of those who have been burning the candle at both ends, for all of those who are tired from making their families run, their nonprofits run, their organizations run. For all of those who feel like they do not have another drop to give, hearing me suggest that we push more of ourselves out and allow others in might not sound like good news to you. And so if it doesn't sound like good news to you, which it might not sound like great news to me either, then I just want to clarify that when we are asked to serve others like Jesus served others, when we are asked to hold our commitments to others in our hearts over and above other things, I am not suggesting that we constantly keep our nose to the grindstone and our hand at the plow and grease on our elbows. Even Jesus only healed a few, my friends. But what Jesus did do, over and over again, was sit down at the table with strangers. Eating, drinking, laughing, and all that comes with that. Asking questions of those around them. Listening carefully to what they are saying and what they are not saying. To shouldering the burden of the tears that they share. To bellowing in the laugh that surprises them all. Jesus spoke to their unspoken fears. Jesus cried with them in their grief, raged with them against injustice. My friends, what I'm saying is that serving others isn't just about providing for others or helping others or assisting others or fixing others. It's very rarely that. Serving is found in making room for people in our hearts by listening with empathy Sharing in the experience of what it must be like for them to be them. And when we make room in our hearts for others, we are making room in our hearts for Jesus Christ. As we look ahead to Christmas Day, if we find ourselves longing for more room, for more space in our lives, if we find ourselves seeking the peace of Jesus in our hearts, then I invite us to think about clearing out room in a new way. Rather than pushing people out, rather than pushing commitments out, rather than pushing out the things that seem like they're a little too hard, I suggest that we invite people in to occupy that space in our hearts. Because the scripture says that really, when we invite those people in, they are holding that space for Jesus Christ. Because, my friends, there is something more meaningful. There is something more lasting to be experienced at Christmas that goes beyond the presence and the tinsel and the self-promotion. It is the joy of one come down for the benefit of all of keeping the commitment that God made to all of us at creation. It is the hope that one born in a manger would and did one day stretch out his arms in a wide embrace to the whole world, making space for us. If you will, please pray with me. God, we long for room, for space, to feel the expanse of the horizon that stretches out before our eyes. We are tempted to believe that somehow we can stand in that alone. Even though time and time again, through your scripture and through your saints, you remind us that space is held by the faces that we see day in, day out, that space is held by the hands that we hold, that space is held by the faces of those whom we love and by the faces of those whom nobody loves. May we be the people who create space in our hearts this Christmas and in the weeks beyond, not by denying the commitment that we have to others, but by welcoming them into our hearts, not to fix them, but to love them. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.